Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Human Nutrition and Lifestyle. Today, we've got a very exciting guest for you on the podcast. We've got Ashley Van Houten. Is that how you say it, Ashley Van Houten? Yeah. You also, got it right. That's very rare. <laughs> Brilliant. Also known as the uh, Muscle Maven. And Ashley, if you want to just introduce yourself and tell everybody who you are and, and what you do. Sure. Uh, thanks for having me. I'll try to keep it as short as possible, but I guess I kind of do a, a bunch of things. So it's, it's sort of hard to give the elevator pitch, but right now uh, I'm a podcast host, I'm a cookbook author, um, and I'm a health coach as well. And uh, I've been doing all of these things for about a decade now, although the cookbook is more recent. I just kind of launched that. I'm very excited about it. Um, but yeah, my, my background has always been um, in communications. So I've always loved to write and um, learn and interview people and kind of gather what I'm learning and share it with other people. So it kind of makes sense to, to move that into an area that I'm always interested in, which is fitness and human performance and nutrition. Um, and so I'm really grateful to do the work I do. It's stuff that I'd be doing for fun and for free anyway. So uh, it's a pretty good gig. Brilliant. You mentioned fitness. So let's touch a bit on your lifestyle and start with, I know, um, that you you keep fit. So how, how do you keep fit? Is it, uh, you know, you're going to the gym or you're an endurance athlete? What do you do? Definitely not an endurance athlete. Uh, <laughs> I've, I've dabbled a little, I ran a couple of marathons, did not love it. Um, but I, I like to think that I'm kind of a generalist. I like to, as I said before, sort of try new things, experiment, learn about myself, learn about kind of what works, what I like, what I don't like, and kind of take all of that little bits and pieces of the things I'm learning and create a plan that like works best for me in that it's sustainable and I like it and it's fun. Um, so, you know, my background ranges from, uh, I was a gymnast when I was a kid and then I moved into swimming. I was a swimmer for a little while. And then when I kind of became an adult post-university, I got into CrossFit, which led me into powerlifting and then eventually led me into um, competitive bodybuilding. And I also dabble in fun things like jujitsu. And so I kind of just, I kind of play with it all. I really like to lift weights. I guess if I had to say in one, one word, what I do it's weightlifting. Cause I very much um, believe in the importance of um, strength training um, for overall health. Um, but yeah, I just kind of play around. I mean, you know, these days with gyms opening and closing and sort of availability of different things being what it is, you just kind of have to get flexible. And I've been doing a lot of walking and a lot of home workouts. And then when I can get into the gym, I just kind of maximize my time there and, and lift all the weights that I, I have time to, to lift when I'm in there. Brilliant. I know you skipped around it a bit, but I know from following you on Instagram and uh, social media and things like that, you really do enjoy being in the gym and lifting heavy weights. Let's say heavy weights, and you and you touched yeah. on the fact that you you touched on the fact that you was a competitive bodybuilder. So, um, for a lot of women listening, um, how do you sort of go about being able to put on muscle, but then not being scared of going to the gym and lifting weights and things like that? You're not gonna all of a sudden turn into the Hulk, let's say that. <laughs> no, no, it hasn't happened yet. I've been doing this for about 15 years. So um, I think the biggest thing really is just getting over sort of the mental hurdles because a lot of women are sort of taught from a young age that there are sort of female appropriate workouts and there are male appropriate workouts and big grunting, sweaty, heavy weightlifting 
is seen as more masculine, whereas things like, I don't know, maybe Pilates or yoga um, are seen as, as things that are more feminine. And so we kind of have to unlearn that a little bit. And I think that um, the kind of work that a lot of women are, are doing these days and showing that strength training is functional and it's empowering and it's good for you. And also that when you build muscle, you look better as well as feel better. Um, because one of the, the biggest issues I think with the kind of mainstream narrative towards women is that we need to be small and skinny all the time. And with such a focus on fat loss with no focus on, on muscle gain, there are a lot of women out there who are putting a ton of effort and work into losing f body fat and they're achieving it, but they don't have the, that, that health promoting and attractive muscle underneath. So they lose all this fat and they're still not happy with the way they look. It's that whole kind of skinny fat thing that people encounter. So, um, really it's just a matter of, um, I think unlearning the things that we've been taught and then also just trying it, right? Because if you've done cardio your whole life, for example, and you aren't happy with the way you look, or if you're doing a different kind of workout plan that doesn't involve lifting heavy weights and you're not getting the outcome you want, the only kind of intelligent next step is to try something new. And so giving it a shot, lifting weights, following a program for a few months, seeing that you're not going to turn into the Hulk, seeing that maybe you, um, you hit some PRs or you accomplish some things that are really empowering. Um, you get stronger and you can kind of live your life better. And then as a byproduct, you look better too. I mean, it's kind of a no brainer. It's the same for men and women, right? We have the same experience. We just start in different places. So um, it was never really much of an issue for me because I, from a very young age was very attracted to like muscle and strength. So I didn't really have that hurdle. I mean, we all do worry about what people think of us or what we look like or being attractive and all that stuff. I'm not going to pretend that's not an issue, but um, I really find that when women approach weightlifting from a like functional, what can my body accomplish perspective instead of how skinny, how tiny, you know, how lean can I get? Um, it's much more empowering. And then this sort of byproduct of looking great happens and uh, that's even better. Yeah. So from a lifestyle point of view, I think it's great to, to emphasize on that. And just to say that not to be scared of strength training. I mean, really, if there's any kind of training you should be doing, it's strength training before even cardio, going out for a run, anything like that, you should be strength training. But a lot of people are scared to do it because of the fact they think that lifting a few heavy weights or, or um, going to the gym a few times a week doing weights means they're going to pack on muscle. They're going to put on muscle. But perhaps you can just uh, emphasize the fact and explain to us how hard it is to actually gain muscle. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I really think that these days with the amount of information that's out there and the amount of women that are lifting weight that, that don't reflect that, I really think that a lot of this, like, I'm scared if I lift a weight, I'm going to get bulky is a little bit of sort of an excuse. Um, and I don't mean that from a judgmental perspective, because we all make excuses when we are intimidated, when we're afraid, when we don't want to do something, even if we kind of have this inkling that it could be helpful, but we're not ready to do it yet. You know, like I have that whenever I have to start a, a new, I don't know, restrictive diet or like a, something that something that I'm kind of like dragging my butt to do, you'll, your, your brain will make excuses, right? So I really think the vast majority of people, men and women who are saying, oh, don't, don't lift heavy weights because you'll get really big and bulky looking you're making excuses for something because you don't want to you don't want to try it for whatever reason because the reality <laughs> reality of the matter is i mean men will tell you this too especially if they're not taking any kind of you know steroids or, or performance enhancing drugs or anything like that if you go into the gym with the goal of building i don't know 10 15 pounds of muscle you have to work your ass off to do that 
men and women. And you, you guys start out with way more testosterone than us. You start out with way more muscle anyway. Um, but we build muscle the same way. So my bicep uh, tissue is the same as your bicep tissue. Just you might start out with a lot more of it, right? Which is why you can probably bicep curl more than me, which is why you might move a little bit faster on some of these goals. Maybe not. Um, but anyway, so all I have to say is that you have to be extremely dedicated. You have to eat properly. You have to recover properly. You have to do this for months and months and years and years um, to note a significant difference. When I was competing in bodybuilding, like I might, and of course I was competing in, um, it's the figure category, which is, you know, it's not bodybuilding. Like it's not what people maybe consider when they think bodybuilding, like big, huge, veiny, muscly people. It's kind of more of a like athletic, but sort of um, what's the word? I, I don't know, a more realistic kind of body type. Cause I, I wasn't interested in kind of taking any drugs or anything like that. I wanted to do it naturally. So it really, like I say that figure kind of looks a bit more like a CrossFitter who's on a diet, like very, very, you know, muscular and fit, but anyway. Um, and so when I was training, I was like maybe competing once a year and I would be happy if I gained, I don't know, maybe four or five, three, three to five pounds of muscle in a year maybe. And I'm like working hard at it. Um, so, you know, I have women come up to me all the time in the gym and they're like, Hey, do you have any advice for how I can like start lifting weights? And I don't want to get big. Um, two things. One, I, I tell them, I'm like, do you, you know, do you think I'm bulky? Because I do this all the time and I work very hard. I'm like trying to get bulky and this is the best I can come up with. So it's not going to accidentally happen. And then the second part is most of the people who are getting bulky from lifting weights, um, they are either maybe doing some kind of extracurricular supplementation or it's the food. So oftentimes when women are gaining a bunch of weight during like a, a strength training cycle or, you know, powerlifting or weightlifting or something like that, it may be just because you're eating too much in some cases. So um, when you're trying to build muscle, you do need to eat in a caloric surplus. You can't lose fat and gain muscle at the same time. The human body doesn't work that way. Um, but you don't have to, some people kind of, and I'm sorry if I'm, I'm cursing, but they kind of tear the ass out of it with like eating too much, right? They're like, oh, I've got to gain muscle. So I'm going to eat like every single thing I can. When in reality, if you're you know, you're working out, uh, you're dedicating yourself, you're working out an hour, four or five times a week, something like that. You don't need to eat 2000 calories a day more than you normally do. Like this is a progressive, subtle kind of increase. Um, so yeah. So, I mean, most of the times when people get bulky, it's because of their nutrition, not because they're lifting so much weight that they suddenly, you know, become the Hulk. Yeah, that's right. They've both got to go hand in hand. You've got to have the correct training program and you've got to have the correct nutrition. Um, like you say, people think, oh, I'll go to the gym and I'll lift weights and I'll get big. I'll manage to gain muscle, but you're not going to gain muscle unless you have the correct nutrition to go alongside that. So perhaps you could, um, that'll jump us into nutrition. So perhaps you could talk about what sort of nutrition you need to go alongside any particular training program, not just strength, but any particular training program needs to be supported by nutrition. So start us and talk to us what, what that could look like. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a very, um, complicated in-depth question for sure, because I kind of try to avoid, um, like dogmatic answers to things like this. Like everyone should eat sort of a certain way and you have to eat exactly this much and this type of food. I do think that there are some sort of universal 
almost universal truths about human nutrition that is going to benefit the vast majority of people. There are always outliers who need to eat in a very specific and in some cases a very extreme way to optimize their health. But the vast majority of people um, would benefit, especially if we're talking about like body composition and, and muscle growth uh, from eating whole foods, unprocessed foods. So meat, fruit, and vegetables, um, and maximizing and prioritizing protein. And that is especially for women because we tend to not eat enough, um, generally speaking. Again, it's sort of like this weird gendered thing where if you eat too much protein, you're going to get fat or that's kind of heavy or it's not, you know. So we tend to look more towards like salads and things like that, which are fine. There's nothing wrong with a salad, but put some meat in it, put some protein in it. Um, so yeah, the vast majority of people are going to benefit from the, the basic starting point of, you know, prioritizing each meal, each plate with um, a reasonable for you amount of protein. And then you sort of fill it in with healthy carbs and fats as per your preference, um, as per your sort of digestion um, and your goals. So some people are going to do a lot better with a higher fat if they're possibly trying to lose body fat, if they are trying to get fat adapted, get into ketosis, not think about food so much, maybe if you are training super, super hard hours a day, if you're an endurance athlete, you're probably going to want more carbs than the average person. Um, but again, you can do that in a very whole foods way. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's again, kind of the starting point. And then from there, you need to do the tweaks of like figuring out like what your um, basic sort of caloric intake should be, how much of that should be protein, how much of it should be the other macronutrients um, and play around with sort of the details. But that's, that's really kind of the starting point. Yeah, that's great. That's exactly where we come from here. We, I talk a lot about nutrient density and if you can focus a, a, a lot of your plate, a lot of your food around nutrient dense food, then you, mm -hmm. you end up tending to find that you, you stick into sort of a low carbohydrate kind of diet, just because of the fact that you're eliminating all the uh, processed foods uh, and because you're filling your plate full of nutrient dense foods, then you get satiated a, a lot quicker and, and you tend to not want so many carbohydrates, not want so many snacks and things like that. Sure. So let's talk about what you've got into recently. Uh, I can see that book behind you there. I do have a copy myself. Um, <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> and uh, so what, what is it about? Let's talk about your book. Well, you made a great segue there about nutrient density um, because that's really what the book is all about. But uh, I wrote a cookbook about nose to tail eating. Specifically, we're talking organ meats, which is a pretty niche topic. Um, not a lot of books out there that are focusing on organ meats, but that's exactly why I wrote it. Um, because if we are having the conversation around optimizing human nutrition and doing it in a sustainable, ethical non-wasteful and incredibly nutrient dense way, we have to start incorporating all parts of the animal. Um, and I could of course rant in any direction you want on that, but I just really, what I wanted to do with the book was sort of just start a conversation about, um, being open-minded about the topic, being willing to kind of try new things, um, and also just understand the benefits of something that we, again, have been taught is weird, extreme, gross and actually is completely normal and beneficial to our health and is something eating nose to tail I'm talking about is something that humans have done throughout history and still do most places in the world it's really kind of almost more of like a western world thing maybe but um you know modern culture that we've created this this um you know sort of 
big box grocery store world where we can buy cheap steaks and that's all we eat. And if we, you know, see liver, we think that's gross and that's not for us when we're really throwing away the most nutrient dense and, and potentially very delicious um, parts of the animal. So that's really kind of what I set out to do was just show people not only that it can be healthy and that it can be good for the planet, good for you, um, but also that it just makes sense. It just makes sense from a human nutrition perspective to eat nose to tail. Yeah, because like you say, you touched on it back uh, with our ancestors. That's nobody told them what to eat. Nobody said to them, you know, you need to Google, see what the most nutrient dense food is. What you, what they just picked up straight off the bat was the fact that all these foods, all these organ meats, all this offal was the most nutrient dense things. That's what they went to straight away. I mean, I had, I spoke to Dr. Bill Schindler on the podcast a few podcasts ago, and he was great emphasizing that fact about what our ancestors used, used to do and how to process it. Um, mm-hmm. So if we're, ta- if we're talking uh, nutrient density then, and we're looking at offal meats, d- does nutrient density sort of differ from different kind of, of offal meats? And how does that differ from the muscle meat that most people eat as well? Yeah. So there definitely is a bit of a hierarchy in terms of nutrient density. Um, but I will say that almost across the board organ meats. And so that, that encompasses a range of meats, but like most generally speaking, we're talking about things like liver, heart, tongue, um, sweetbreads, kidney, things like that, they're all significantly more nutrient dense than muscle meat. So muscle meat is healthy, certainly. I mean, if you're buying, you know, healthy animals, um, it's full of amino acids and vitamins and minerals that support our body's function. It's essentially just that these, these amino acids and vitamins and minerals and antioxidants are super concentrated in the organs. So if you're somebody maybe, for example, who is a meat eater, but is trying to eat less, maybe you want to do this kind of less, but better meat, um, which I totally support. If that's something that you want to do, your best bet is to eat organ meats because you can get from a couple ounces of liver, what it would take many more ounces of say steak or chicken to accomplish. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, generally speaking, liver, liver is the king, um, beef liver is the ultimate king, but all other animal livers are delicious and very nutritious as well. Lamb liver is a good one. Um, chicken livers are super easy to find and they're very mild tasting. So you can do a lot with those. They're really easy to, to cook and prepare. Um, heart is another really good one that I recommend a lot because again, it's very nutrient dense, but it's also a muscle meat. So it's an organ, but it's also a muscle. So it has kind of a more beefy texture that people, um, might have an easier time with because sometimes it's a textural thing as well as a taste thing with organ meats. Um, so yeah. And then, I mean, you know, there's brain is an organ that is delicious and full of, um, cholesterol, which again, we we've heard that that's sort of a scary, bad word, but our brains are almost entirely cholesterol. We need cholesterol to be healthy and to, to, for our bodies to function. Um, so, and then, you know, tongue is a very fatty, but again, nutrient dense, like tons of B vitamins, B vitamins, a vitamins, all of these things. It's so good. So tasty. Um, I could go on, but yeah, I mean, again, it's just sort of like anything that you want to get from your meat, you're going to get in much higher concentrated doses with organ meats. So what would you suggest um, as a kind of on-ramp then? Let's say somebody's looking to go from muscle meat, they, they, they're the meat eaters, but they mostly eat muscle meat. What would you say is a great on-ramp to get into starting to eat more, more offal, more organs? 
Yeah, I've got a couple recommendations. Um, one that I used to give before the pandemic was to go to a restaurant and have someone prepare it for you um, because it's a lot easier. You you know you get rid of the intimidation factor of having to go source the stuff and make it yourself. So you can go to a Mexican restaurant and get tongue tacos, or you can go to an Asian restaurant and get pho, which has um, you know organs often. It's like a delicious soup. You can get um, sweetbreads from a French restaurant, like all beautiful and delicious. And then you can just have a professional make it, you know, it's going to be good and you can try it out that way. So that's one option. If you have the ability to go to a restaurant, why not just get a professional to do it? Um, the next step is you could always reach out to um, any sort of online purveyor. I'm not sure what you guys have access to over there, but um, online companies and, and even like a local butcher who could, for example, mix some organs into your ground beef so that you can make the burgers or the meatballs or the sausages that you love. It's got like maybe a four to one ratio of ground beef to like ground liver and heart. Um, so the taste is masked, but the, the, you know, the benefits are there for you. So don't, don't feel ashamed about hiding it, right? If you're like a little bit intimidated, you don't want to taste it all yet, hide it in there, just like parents have been doing for their kids throughout history, right? You hide the vegetables under some melted cheese. You can just hide the liver in your burgers, fine. Um, and then I would say maybe to start small, like with smaller animals, smaller organs, they tend to be more mild. So I always say start with chicken hearts and chicken livers, just because they are the mildest tasting. They're cheap, they're easy to find, they're easy to make. If you're not a poultry person, you can try things like lamb, this lamb is delicious. It has like a very delicious savory taste and it, that's reflected in their organs as well. The bigger the animal, the stronger tasting its organs are gonna be. So yeah, you wanna start with a, a smaller. And then lastly, I would just say, um, to you know, go with milder tasting organs. So again, things like sweetbreads, for example, which are like the thymus gland um, of an animal, it's scary sounding, but they're actually incredibly mild tasting, creamy. Um, you can you know fry them uh, in a skillet with some like healthy, I don't know, gluten-free breading if you want. And they taste like nothing, like they absorb the, the flavor of whatever you cook them with. Um, and then things like heart, like I mentioned, heart is, um, you know, it's maybe a little bit stronger flavored than like a steak or a whatever, um, but it has a beefy texture and a flavor that is really quite delicious. So the heart of any animal is probably going to be, you know, easier to, um, to, to cook and kind of get your head around than maybe like the liver or the kidneys. So I would, yeah, I would start there. Yeah. And, and I'd just like to add uh, some things that I do as well, which is making pate, you know, make, yep. making pate from, and don't be scared to, to mix it up. You mentioned about your, your ground beef with your organ meats mixed in. Well, I've done things before where I've had um, ground beef and then put a lamb's liver in with it, or I've, I've or started off with chicken liver in with beef. Don't be scared to do that. You know, yeah. it, it, it doesn't give it a bad taste at all. You, you can't even, you have a little mild taste of chicken in there, but it doesn't, doesn't taste of liver or anything like that. And yeah. you're still getting all the nutrient density as well. Yeah. So I, I also get a lot of people say, well, what about nutrient density from plants? I can get all my nutrient density I need from things like broccoli and uh, plants and all sorts of the bioavailability in plants is just as good as in meat. Is that true? It is not true. Um, I'm not, I'm not really in the business of trying to convince vegans to eat organ meats. I've said this before. It's not, you know, I just feel like there's, there's so much, um, 
I don't know, like animosity. And it gets very, it gets very like emotional when, when people kind of discuss food for whatever reason, like people really kind of take their eating choices personally. And I, I try to avoid that because I'm not trying to make anyone feel like they're less than I'm not trying to tell anybody that they're stupid because they're not eating organ meats. All I'm trying to do is just sort of give factual information and then also provide pleasant and fun and delicious ways to prepare this stuff if you're willing to give it a shot. With that said, I mean, it's it really is pretty common knowledge that um, if you are eating a strict vegan diet, you almost certainly have to supplement um, in order to get the full sort of nutrient profile that you need to be a healthy functioning human. And again, there are a few people out there that can absolutely thrive on a vegan diet. Some people do it for a short time because it's, you know, fixed whatever problem that they were having at the time eating, maybe a standard kind of processed diet. But at a certain point, most people find that a very strict vegan diet becomes problematic. Um, you know, the, all these like memes you see on the internet that are like broccoli, it's like a picture of a broccoli and a picture of a steak. And it's like broccoli has, you know, just as much iron, but it, you know, the, the small print is that you have to eat like eight cups of it. It's just not sort of practical. I'm not anti-vegetable, certainly. I'm not one of these like carnivore folks that says if you eat a salad, it's going to kill you. I, I think the vast majority of us, I mean, human beings are omnivores. We're meant to eat both. Um, how that looks on your plate is going to be vastly different depending on your goals and your preferences. So some people are going to eat a big bowl of vegetables with some protein sprinkled on top. And some people like me are going to eat a big chunk of protein with some vegetables on the side. It's totally fine. It's whatever works for you. If your digestion's good, if your energy's good, um, if all your sort of blood markers and your performance and your your cognition and all of that's good, you're doing fine. Um, but I think again, if we kind of take away the judgment and the sort of personal feelings around food and we just lay it out scientifically, the fact is that we're omnivores. The fact is that it is perfectly natural and healthy and appropriate for human beings to eat meat. Um, and that if you choose not to, you can, um, but it's not going to be optimal for your health. Yeah, that, that's right. That's absolutely right. And people also say that uh, if you're eating meat, then you're not respecting the animal. You're not, you're not uh, respecting, you know, eth ethics and, and everything like that. But um, you know, as well as I do, that regenerative, regenerative farming is, is brilliant for things like that. And, and also, if you're not eating nose to tail, like you say, then we are kind of losing half the animal, not only half the animal, but probably the better half of the animal, because like you say, all the nutrients and everything are in the organ meats and things like that. Now, you mentioned um, carnivore and, and keto and, and them kind of style diets, vegan on, on the other end we're not in any camp here and I never I'm same, same as you I never tell anybody to jump into any particular camp although I do believe that um, they could be used as kind of reset diets I know um, they could potentially help with autoimmune diseases and things like that um, tell us a bit about how perhaps a carnivore diet could help with an autoimmune disease yeah, I mean, I personally um, use the carnivore diet as my reset approach. And I know a lot of people kind of do different things when they either um, go on a bender or they've just been eating crappy for a while or they kind of just haven't been paying attention and they need to like reset. There's a lot of, like you said, there's a lot of different kind of tools to do that. Um, and I prefer a carnivore diet perhaps over like fasting or over something like a ketogenic diet because 
I, and I, fasting's great. Fasting's a, a tool. And I think a lot of people can use it to their benefit. Um, my approach to a reset is more to like reset my hunger signals while still supporting my body's function. I still, I'm, I'm always very protein centric because I, my goal is to build and maintain muscle all the time. Um, so I don't really want to spend three to five days or whatever, kind of not eating anything. I don't find that's necessarily supporting my goals with that said again, fasting can work for other people. Um, I've also found personally, I'm not like a huge fan of like a super, super high fat or a keto approach long-term, especially for women. I just find it's harder for us. I also find purely from a practical perspective, if you're a smaller human being who's trying to lose body fat, keto can be tougher because as we know, fat is the macronutrient that is the most calorically dense. So if you're trying to restrict how many calories you're eating and you're only eating the most calorically dense food, it's like further restricting, right? So if I'm thinking about like only eating protein or maybe eating proteins and healthy carbs, my plate's going to look like this. Whereas if I'm just eating fat, my plate's going to look like this. It makes me very sad. So anyway, all that to say, when I feel like I want to um, just do a reset, just maybe improve my gut health, improve my, like I said, my, my hunger signals or whatever, I'll go strict carnivore. And I usually would not do that for any longer than like a week, like maybe usually three to five days. Um, and I never do, this is another kind of um, challenge that I see with people who are getting into the carnivore diet is again, you spend some time on Instagram and you think that a carnivore diet is just like steak and ground beef, which Look, I love steak as much as anybody, but it gets really boring. Texture fatigue sets in, you know, you're just going to get bored of eating the same things over and over again. So when I do it, I'm having a wide variety of proteins, cuts, um, preparation. So I'm eating seafood and shellfish and poultry and game meat, as well as beef and pork. And I'm eating organs and I'm, you know, cooking them in different ways. So I get like different textures and flavors. Um, and I find that to be really beneficial. And there does seem to be um, some evidence that some folks um, who are dealing with autoimmune issues um, related to inflammation and related to leaky gut and just overly sensitive to a lot of different foods um, don't tend to have issues um, with protein. And that's, again, that's not always the case. And it's not saying that every autoimmune condition can be fixed with a carnivore diet, but there seems to be like mounting evidence and certainly anecdotal evidence um, from folks who were saying like, I was eating a super, super healthy, you know, paleo diet even, or a vegan diet. And when I cut the vegetables and the nuts and the seeds and the whatever fermented foods and all of these things that we often consider healthy, they cut them and they stick straight to, you know, healthy, well-sourced protein. They get almost immediate benefits, um, from a like digestive, uh, perspective and, and all of the other kind of symptoms that they're having. So I think it's a pretty low risk reset to try, to be honest with you, you know, like if you already eat meat and you know that you can kind of tolerate it and you like it and it gives you energy and it's good for you. It's a pretty low risk way to say like, let's do an elimination diet and see what's working and what isn't. Um, so yeah, I, I recommend it to anybody to just kind of give it a shot and, and see how it makes you feel. Yeah. I think what a lot of those diets have in common, the keto, the carnivore, the vegan, any of them have in common is they eliminate all the unprocessed foods. Mm -hmm. Um, so that obviously helps. That's a step in the right direction straight away. Um, but yeah, I'll suggest the same as you it's to be used perhaps as a shorter period of time than, than like you say, if you look on Instagram or, or you read a lot about it, some people try and say, 
I don't want to upset people here, but try and say it's a lifestyle where, where perhaps it isn't. Perhaps it's just a way of them making sure they're eliminating the things they don't need from their diet. And then once they've got, let's say they've got a carnivore, a strict carnivore diet, then perhaps they can start adding things in little things then they can see oh well that doesn't agree with me let's say something like beans add beans back in no that doesn't agree with me okay take those back out so it could be used as a baseline diet to 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 add on to i don't think any diet keto carnivore vegan is a lifestyle diet um, at all um yeah. one thing i wanted to say um touching on your, your organ meats was um how often does somebody have to think about having organ meats in their diet? And let's say in a weekly, daily, weekly basis, something like that. Yeah, it's a good question. Cause I do, you know, I get a lot of people who are like, okay, you know, fine, I'll get on board. I'll eat some liver, but like, how much of this do I have to eat? Like, how much do I have to eat it? And depending on, you know, if you're looking at my Instagram stories, there are some weeks where it looks like that's all I'm eating, but that's because I wrote a cookbook and I had to do a lot of recipe testing. Um, but the, the beauty of eating things that are incredibly nutrient dense is that you don't have to eat a lot of it and you don't have to eat it all the time. Um, you know, that's another reason maybe why people who are eating super high processed, high carb diets are constantly eating and, and trying to eat more because their body's recognizing that they're not, that you might be getting calories and you might be getting the dopamine of eating, you know, sugary foods or whatever, but your body still isn't getting the nutrients it needs. So it tells you to keep eating, even if you've eaten plenty, right? Whereas if you're eating super nutrient dense animal proteins, like you're, anyone who's done this will attest, your body will tell you very strongly you've eaten enough. Like it is incredibly difficult to overeat steak or liver or ground beef. I mean, look, you can, you know, go to a restaurant and eat a steak bigger than you normally would, but like over time, you're not going to consistently binge on foods like that, right? You just aren't. Your body will tell you not to. Um, and so with organ meats, I mean, I would suggest if you're getting started, I mean, maybe a couple, like eat it once a week, eat a couple ounces a week, make some pate, make some delicious pate and eat that, you know, for a appetizer with some healthy, I don't know, vegetables or paleo crackers or something before dinner. Enjoy that. Make some liver and, uh, you know, eat it for dinner, have a couple ounces. Um, you certainly don't need to eat it every day. You certainly don't need to eat a 12 ounce um, liver steak to get the benefits. We're talking a couple ounces, maybe once a week. And then for me, like if I'm doing uh, like recipe testing and I'm eating a lot, I'll, I'll eat it and then I'll go maybe weeks without eating it. Because another thing, some of these fat soluble um, vitamins and minerals that you're getting um, from like something like vitamin D, for example, when you're getting it from your food, it can be stored in your body. Um, so you can, you know, you can eat this delicious nutrient dense liver and you're, you're absorbing the nutrients. And you maybe don't need to eat it again for a little while. Right. Um, so yeah, so don't feel like you, you know, if you're getting, if you're dabbling into it, that this is like the new thing and you have to eat organs for every meal, just, you know, just throw it in there occasionally, um, you know, when you feel like it and that should be enough. Yeah, that's brilliant. I mean, uh, like once, twice a week, like you say, because yeah. it's so nutrient dense, you don't need to make sure you're eating organs uh, all the time every day for, for no. anything like that. So if you can just have one meal, let's say you have your ground beef with, with your, your liver mixed in and make that a weekly meal, then brilliant. You're getting all the nutrients and things through there in that one weekly meal. Yeah. Uh, so is it possible then that you could have too much? 
let's say um, perhaps if you was really getting into organ meats, really stacking in your protein and your, and your red meat and your fats and things like that, could there be somewhere where, hang on a minute, that's too much? Mm -hmm. It's a good question, but it's also, it's kind of funny that I get asked this question all the time when the bigger, the much bigger health issue is from not eating any of it. You know what I mean? Like I would say across the board, the vast majority of people are going to benefit from eating as much of it as they can versus the very, very rare case where they might eat too much. So again, just to kind of cover, cause look, I'm not a doctor. So you need to like do your own research and, and make sure that you're safe whenever you try anything new. Um, so I would even say if there are any concerns, like if you have like a history in your family of, I don't know, someone having too much iron or something like that, get your blood work done, make sure that everything's sort of safe levels and numbers and everything's kind of okay. Um, you do hear sometimes about things like iron overdosing, and that's almost exclusively with actual supplementation, like iron pills or something. It's because it's just easier to get so much of it that way. Um, it would be tough for you to eat so much meat or organ meat specifically that you're going to overdose on anything um, as to make that risk almost non-existent. So um, if you have any specific concerns of like iron or vitamin K or vitamin A, or, you know, there are some, there are some cases where having too much of a good thing is, is absolutely a problem, but it would be real tough to get it from eating uh, organ meats. So it's definitely not generally a problem that you would run into. Yeah, like you say, it's more likely that you're not getting enough rather rather than too much. Exactly. Uh, so let's. I just want to touch back on your um, bodybuilding things like that. A lot of people ask about supplements and things. So um, I have a, a following on this podcast that are triathletes or that exercise a lot and do a lot of um, number of hours per week in training, and say, so should I be supplementing any vitamins, minerals, or particularly, most particularly, it's protein? Should I be supplementing protein in my diet? And if you are already eating a nutrient-dense diet, is that the case? Do you still need to make sure you supplement your protein to make sure you get enough? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, again, it's it's sort of like a question that sounds simple, but it's actually, there's so much to it. Like you could do a whole podcast just on this topic and um, no kind of responsible person is gonna give any like prescription on a podcast to like everybody across the board. But I will say, I mean, if you're eating a, a whole foods nutrient dense diet and you're healthy, your, your supplement requirements are gonna go down from the, the average person who maybe is eating a lot of processed foods, maybe isn't eating animal protein. Those folks are gonna have a, a bigger need for supplementation. The other thing to consider though, is that if you are, um, you know, an athlete who is working, who is training very hard, like endurance athletes or, or anybody who's like spending a lot of time in the gym, you are going to be depleting yourself more. You are going to have different and sometimes heightened requirements. Um, so that is something that you're going to want to discuss with a coach or a doctor, a functional medicine physician, somebody who's responsible and understands your body and what you're doing. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think that like, I still do supplement with some things sometimes. Um, and I think that that can be cyclical. That can be depending on your goals, how you're eating, how high your stress is. Um, I also generally recommend to like friends and clients and anybody who, who asks me that the very basic health principles, the foundation of, of our health um, is things like, you know, obviously sleeping, stress management, hydration, proper food, proper movement. When all of those things are like maximized, then you kind of take the next step, which is the 
other stuff, the kind of like supplements and the little hacks and tricks. Um, often people want to just kind of skip over the fun the fundamentals because they're not as sexy. So it's like, oh, you know, I get garbage sleep, but maybe if I just, you know, supplement with some nootropics, I'll be fine. And that's not how it works. So I would say for the vast majority of people, the first step is to get your nutrition optimized, which most of us aren't there. Even healthy people, we, you know, maybe aren't hundred, there, there's ways to improve, right? So I would say optimize that nutrition, optimize those lifestyle factors first, get your sleep, get your stress in order. And then when all of that is, you know, as good as it can possibly be, then you, you play around with some fun extras if you want. That's brilliant. I'm pleased you said it like that because I often say it's about getting the 90%, about getting the 95% correct. If you can get that 90, 95% correct, mostly of your nutrition and, and, and of your lifestyle, like you say, getting plenty of sleep and, and going to bed early and, and, and not looking at screens and, and things like that. If you can sort that 90 to 95% out, then the rest of it's all in that little 5%. And too many people worry about what's in that little 5%. And that little 5% does include, like you say, your supplements and your things like that. So yeah. um, go, going back then to uh, our ancestry, when they all started to get loads and loads of nutrient-dense food all the way from when they used to make a kill and things like that, then how how come they weren't... How, how, how can I put this? Um, let me think... <laughs> How, how come they weren't, they, they were never told that they should no, not have a low carb diet. They were never told that animal protein was better than plant protein. So how have we gone through the years and through the ages? And we seem to have lost our way a little bit. How, how has that come about? Do you think? Oh, man, <laughs> you could write a lot of books about that. I mean, there's so many elements that go into it. And, you know, I try not to spend too much time kind of conspiracy theorizing because that it, it's a rabbit hole that I don't frankly want to go down but we know that that there are many special interests that are um, involved in the food industry we know that there are a lot of big companies and monopolies whose it's in their best interest for you to um, eat a processed diet to eat um, food that is created, to eat food that is made very cheaply, um, that is not made with our health in mind. Um, and so it's, it's an uphill battle to eat the way our ancestors ate because that's increasingly difficult to find. And it's also increasingly villainized, which is so bizarre when you think, again, it's, it's about taking the sort of personal lifestyle or personal like feelings of attachment to how you eat away and just looking at it with a clear head of what supports our body, not what an influencer tells you is good or not um, what's the cheapest at the grocery store today. You know, we, we've created this culture where we expect food to be incredibly cheap, incredibly convenient, um, and available all the time, regardless of where we live and what season we're in, right? So we now have this sort of, generally speaking, not all cultures and not all around the world. I'm kind of speaking again about the Western world in general, but I think, you know, you guys probably have some of this too. Um, 
you know, we have this entitlement that food should just be there and it should just be easy and it shouldn't take us any time and it should be cheap. Um, and so when we think like, no, let's actually put more effort into this. Let's pay much more money for better quality meat. Um, let's travel to the, the farmer's market or the farms themselves to learn and engage with this. We're not used to that because we're used to being told to go to a grocery store and get these boxes of food that are half off because they're full of, you know, garbage preservatives and, and vegetable oils that keep them shelf stable that damage our bodies, right? So there's there's a lot of ways. There's a lot of education. There's a lot of um, and miseducation, you know, things that we've been taught that tell us what are things are better for us um, that are actually better for very few special interests who are making money off our sickness. Um, but I think that again, we can at a micro level because that's really all we have control over. At a micro level, we can make a difference by being the healthiest people we can be. We don't have to shout from the rooftops that chips are garbage and that vegans are dumb. We All we have to do is eat the best way we know how, be as healthy as we possibly can, and be available to help and support other people if they ask us questions about food and nutrition, um, and, and try to change the system and the culture with our dollars. So by supporting um, local farmers and um, local companies and people who are being transparent and people who are openly getting rid of the sort of like garbage kind of preservatives and terrible ingredients that we've come to know are problematic, you know, like do the extra work and support within your ability, um, support the people who are doing it right. And the more we do that, the more the sort of tide is going to change and there will be um, more and more of that stuff available to us. Yeah, I don't think you can uh, put a finger on where it was or, or when it was or how we seem to have lost our way. I think it's kind of like um, if you start a snowball and then it just gets bigger and bigger and over time that snowball becomes a snowman, you know, it just it gets bigger and bigger. The processed food seems to have gone along like that. If you look, you don't have to look back too far, even if you look at our great grandparents, things like that, they were going to the butchers and the bakers, you know, the local mm -hmm. stores that did it that, that you mentioned. So I think things have just got perhaps a little bit out of hand. It start the ball started rolling um, with the uh, Ansel Keys, agriculture. You, agriculture, yeah. And agriculture. I mean, really, like that's it. Like with mass production of like mono crops and factory feedlot farming. I mean, when we moved from like the more traditional like hunter-gatherer small groups to these big industrial kind of big cities, which I, you know, again, there's there's you can't go back and say I wish it was different. Like history is what it is, but that was the turning point when things became um, more mass produced. They were able to be cheaper. And then we weren't as focused on uh, like the life cycle of the animal. We weren't as focused on how well they were treated. And we didn't know as much about nutrition back then. So a lot of it necessarily wasn't malicious. It wasn't saying, you know, we're going to feed you these poisonous animals or these poisonous um, plants. They're just saying like, we, we don't know, like, look, we can make 5,000 chickens instead of five. So let's do that. You know? So um, you're right. It is sort of like a snowball effect that maybe wasn't necessarily started out with bad intentions, but that's where we are now. So, um, and it can seem very overwhelming, but I think again, like things like this podcast and things like my book and just people trying to do the best they can with the resources they have and make the best decisions you can on a daily basis. I mean, that's how change is made. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm so pleased you come out with the book about the organ meats because a lot of people say, well, it's all about money. You know, I can't afford to feed my family. I have to buy the, the cheap cuts. I have to buy the cheap, this, cheap, that. I have mentioned before about buying expensive things that you're grass-fed and all that. But just if you just start even with the, the cheaper cuts, I mean, offal is so brilliant because you can pick it up so cheaply. It's a great way to start. And if, if we are to, to kind of stop the snowball rolling and, and go the other side and push it back, then perhaps organ meats are the way to do it. And it's, it's a brilliant way you've put it and set it out in your book. Now, I just want to say, say to people as well, it's not just a recipe book. I mean, you, it's really good how you, how you set it out, even from our ancestry in there. And, and there's, the, the, there's all the details of, of basically what we talked about today in there. It's a really good read. So thank, like you. To, thank you for that. Yeah, and uh, I appreciate it. I it's, you know, I think, I think with this topic, you need to kind of tell the story a bit more. Like, I didn't want to be like, here's a book with kidney recipes. Like you should do it. Like, I think people need a little bit more <laughs> background than that. So that's, that's what I wanted to do is give people a bit more, you know, information before they make a decision. Yeah. Who would coax them into it basically. Yeah, yeah exactly. Hold <laughs> your hand, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's brilliant. I, uh, I can thank you very much for that today. That's been a really good chat. And uh, if all my followers would like to find out where you are and where they could find you and how they can learn more about you, then um, tell them where they can. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, so I'm mostly on Instagram. So you can follow me there at the muscle maven. And I have a website, which is just my name, ashleyvanhouten.com. Um, and my book, it takes guts. You can get that on Amazon. You can get it, you know, any stores. I actually have a specific link for, um, like international, uh, sales, which I can give to you. You can put in your show notes if you want. Um, yeah, but if anybody right, has yeah. any questions, I'm, I'm always available to answer them. So you can just, you know, send me a message through my website or on Instagram, and I'd be happy to help you out. And where I first heard you Ashley, was on your podcast. Oh yeah. Oh, great. I forgot about that. I've got a podcast too. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's called, it's called muscle maven radio and you can download that anywhere. Thank you for helping me uh, do my own shout outs. Cause I forgot. <laughs> That's fine. Thank you very much for today, Ashley. Thank you. It was great to talk to Ashley. Her main focus is to eat nutrient dense foods and strength train in order to build and maintain muscle because muscle is a very important not just from an aesthetic point of view, but mostly for health and longevity and to steer away from things like sarcopenia. A strong body can deal with anything thrown at it, whereas on the other hand, a weaker body is more susceptible to injury and, and illness. So as Ashley says, don't be scared to strength train, male or female. You most certainly won't get bulky without wanting to. Uh, thanks again for listening. I'll put a link in the description to Ashley's Organ Meats cookbook. It's called It Takes Guts. Um, some really good ideas for you to try in there. But in the meantime, you can follow along with us at Human Nutrition Lifestyle on Instagram. You can find our Facebook group, Human Nutrition and Lifestyle, or go to www.humannutritionlifestyle.com. And on there, I have my own little recipes section, my own little recipes page, just some of the ones that I've managed to make myself over the years. I'm no chef, so I try and keep it as simple as possible and then pass that on to you guys. So hopefully you can find some of those helpful too. 
And I'm still offering the free consultation on the website as well in the shop and uh, in the services section. So look at that. And if you want a little bit of help, if you want a little bit of personalized help, help to you, then take advantage of that free consultation. I'm getting busier and busier all the time, so I'm only able to offer it um, for a little bit a little bit longer just now, but then it will have to come to an end. If you really want a bit of help, if you really need a steer in the right direction, then um, go on the website and select the free consultation. We'll hook up and we'll have a chat. So until then, um, be safe, stay happy, live your very best life, and I shall see you next time.